Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Black Menopause and Beyond. In today's show, I'm going to talk to Leisha. Leisha talks about her experience of the childless menopause. She goes into quite a frank and open and honest talk about her struggle with childlessness, the poor management of her childlessness, and then when her issues are resolved, it's too late. She's entered into peri and then menopause. And Avnisha here, who has, quite, I, I personally think, quite an emotional story, really, with regards to her journey with the menopause. So, Leisha, um, thanks for coming, first of all, and allowing me to interview you. Your story has so many different layers. You know, it's yeah. not, it's, we're not just talking about the menopause. It's just literally, you could peel away loads of different stuff but it's all connected. Well, it's not all connected. The menopause is part of it. So first of all, um, can you tell us a bit about your journey with children, I suppose? Because because um, one of the things we talked about, I think, was the fact, just the idea that people presume you're going to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your views on having children? And then we can lead up to the menopause because I found it really interesting because it made me stop and think. And some of the stuff you said actually made, I felt that I was guilty of. Mm. Um, But yeah, so if you could possibly tell us a bit about you and then that bit about children, that would be brilliant. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Um, I suppose I grew up in what you call a normal household, you know, luckily enough, two parents. You know, dad was in and out a bit, but he was around majority of the time. School and, you know, education, college, that sort of thing seemed to be quite normal. You know, meeting my peers and going out in groups and then eventually dating um, one-on-one and that sort of thing. So, you know, normal pattern, you know, the milestones, I suppose, is what you would call it. I had a few tribulations as a child, but I didn't think they ever really affected me mentally, physically or emotionally growing up. 
So yeah, just pretty mundane, nothing too exciting in regards to growing up. And then I got to about 19, somebody, he seemed okay at first, but things didn't work out for the best. But he was probably the, the, the first serious relationship that I'd, I had. We lived together, we had a mortgage to get, well, I had a mortgage in my name, and but we lived together. Um, and we were kind of building towards what you would call a, a normal 2.4, you know, children, picket fence, that sort of thing. It's just presumed and not really questioned when you're young and vibrant and out there, whether you can have children or not. You just hopefully one day have sex, I suppose, and you make a baby sort of thing. And then you kind of know that you can at that point. So there isn't really a test or any doubt in any woman's mind I would say prior to conception so being with this individual for quite some time you know that the question arises oh when are you two gonna have a child or you'll have a pretty baby the two of you are quite you know good looking you'd make such good parents and you'd be a good mum and all of this sort of stuff so you you know you don't really try I suppose you just be a bit more carefree in the bedroom and if it happens it happens you hope it happens so in my situation um it did happen after a, a little while of us kind of doing things to make it happen should we say and um yeah it was quite a stressful for a relationship so unfortunately at some point we were raided by the police and on that particular occasion there was lots of armed police in my house and lots of red dots all over me and I um experienced a miscarriage there and then on the spot but I didn't know that I was even sort of early term pregnant or just pregnant or could get pregnant or anything so I did I just sort of wrote it off I didn't sort of concentrate on that on the time it was more about being arrested and sitting in the police station so yeah I wasn't escorted to a hospital or seen by a doctor or examined in any way during this process I was just locked in a station until they either found me guilty of whatever it was or not in that respect so a few hours later as in 16 hours later I was then released and just kind of went home back to the house where I lived and sort of just cleaned myself up, you know, tried to repair the damage to the home and make sure it was secure and that sort of thing. And just kind of got on with life and whatever happened in the background with the relationship is kind of irrelevant, but I didn't stop and take any time out for myself or go and see any doctors or anything like that. So as time goes on, you have other relationships with other men and same questions arise, whether it be six months in, whether it be two years in, whether it be four years into the relationship, People around you were just questioning you. All your friends and your female friends are having children. Your male friends are having children, and you're not. You just you don't really think anything's wrong. You just think, oh, it's the not the right time. I'm going through this. I can't afford it right now. So maybe my body just isn't prepared for this, you know, sort of thing. And then eventually, I was with someone, and um, I went for a routine smear test. And we go and see the nurse. It's nurse at the local GP centre, doctor surgery just at the end of everything after she's done all the examinations and taken swabs and stuff she said is there anything else you'd like to discuss anything unusual happening with you and it was just an off-the-cuff question I think for her but for me the way she asked it spontaneously and um you know gave me sort of trust in her all of a sudden I don't know why and I just said um is it normal for your breast to leak and she's like what do you mean I said I think there's like a milky type substance that's been oozing out of me for quite some time now sorry for being so graphic and she kind of looked at me in this kind of panic stricken deer in the headlights look 
and she picked up this phone and within a sort of 10 minute window there was a paramedic vehicle one of those little Volvo things not an ambulance just a little vehicle waiting outside to take me to the nearest hospital for an MRI scan so at that point I really didn't know what was happening with me or whether I was dying or whether I was ill I didn't know it was connected to my lower half my middle half or my top half so that's where the journey kind of began about the investigations into the whole child conception possible miscarriage all sorts of questions where there's you know just arose after that really and lots of been it felt like an interrogation rather than a consultation and that's kind of how that bit started so what did it mean the leakage what how did what did they conclude right so when you are pregnant or when you conceive and become pregnant in the very very early stages as in the first three weeks to month the first thing that happens after that egg has been fertilized and it's sitting comfortably where it needs to you know grow and into the baby the next thing that happens after that is that the brain tells the body i.e the breasts to start producing milk it's one of the first things that happens as soon as you're pregnant. Even during our menstrual cycles, we'll notice that our breasts feel different, maybe swollen, or maybe look more voluptuous. It's because the body is going through the cycle of the egg. So it's, it wasn't fertilised, so it discharges the egg, but the rest of the body still goes through preparation in case the egg is fertilised. So once it is fertilised, the brain then activates the milk making glands in the body and in the breasts and you begin to start making milk. So because I didn't know I was pregnant and I didn't really check upon myself to confirm I had a miscarriage, I never, ever, ever really knew that I was pregnant at all until 11 years later when I'm sitting in front of these consultants describing what's happening to my body. And that was the only way they were able to confirm that at some point I had been pregnant and had a miscarriage. And then my body is what you would call, I suppose the most, most common term would be a phantom pregnancy. Whereas my body still thought it was pregnant and that's why it was producing milk. And because the milk wasn't being extracted, it basically didn't know what to do. So it just kept on repeating the same cycle. I'll just keep producing milk and then any form of stimulation in that area there would be a milky substance that was discharged so that means all the partners and things that I've been with over the years maybe have even noticed certain things happening in my breast region but had never had the confidence or the courage to actually say do you know what that is or what is that why does that happen um so therefore I never knew really that it was happening until I was in the bath one day and I kind of squeezed one of my breasts because it was hurting. And again, this milky substance shot out of it across the bathroom and it was like, oh, well, I suppose, you know, it might have just been a cyst or a little bump or a lump or something and never thought anything of it. And that was, so when I was originally pregnant, it was 1998. And like I said, I never went to the doctors and spoke about it until I had a smear test and spoke to the nurse in 2010. And then I saw the consultants in 2011. So all that time I'd been walking around with this really weird body, not really working properly, but never told anybody. So because your brain thought you were in a state of pregnancy. Yeah. How did that impact your fertility? Well, you can't get pregnant if you're pregnant. And that's what my body thought, basically. My body thought it was pregnant, so it can't re-impregnate itself. You can't get pregnant twice. 
if you're already pregnant. So did you have periods? Yeah. Oh, so I, pre- I presume, well, it's it's mixed signals. It's, it's incorrect signals are shooting here and whatever. So yeah, you're going just through the period. Yeah. Just one particular part of the brain is switched itself on and the rest of the body tried to perform its normal functions, i.e. I had regular periods, some were heavy, some were light, but they were consistent every month without fail. Yeah, just when that's what it was just random that's why they couldn't figure nobody I could didn't tell anybody for ages but when I did tell people it took them months before they actually started looking in the right place because all the time while I was trying to conceive and speaking to the doctors sporadically here and there I never really spoke to any specialist they never referred me to any IVF I didn't get any further you know sort of guidance or counseling should we say or medical assistance once they were like, no, well, everything's working. You have a monthly cycle, so what's the problem? And that was it, out of the door. They never really understood the painfulness of my monthly cycle. What was really going, yeah, they know, nobody sat down and actually spoke to me. Nobody investigated. They do the odd smear and the odd scan. They're like, oh, yeah, it all looks all right. It's all in the right place. You know, when I was 19, I had a laparoscopy mm-hmm. and dye test, which is where they do keyhole surgery and shoot the dye into the fallopian tubes. And there was no blockages. There was nothing, you know, nothing that they could see that was untoward. As far as they could see, everything should be working normally. But that was when I was 19. And not long after that, I potentially conceived. And then not long after that, I had a miscarriage. And then for 11 years, I walked around in suspension, basically, and not loving myself and didn't care. So I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. It wasn't, I didn't, I didn't want to mention it. All my friends were having children. So how are they going to understand what I'm going through? So I'm going to the doctors, trying to speak to doctors, and they're just telling me there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. There's not you know, it's normal, it's normal. And I'm like, something's not normal, something's not right. And like I said, it took that one nurse to just ask me if everything was okay. And I, at that point, found the confidence and the bravery to say, no, things are not okay, really, I think. So, yeah. I mean, that, that does sound really quite sad, really, because it sounded like, which is very often the case with all things to do with women's bodies and to do with things that go wrong with our bodies sometimes a conversation is what you need to understand our body and I, I suppose think... I mean I don't work in the field I'm not a professional or anything but mm-hmm. I would imagine when people turn up and there's infertility issues they focus on what they can see but you're saying that your mind was triggered um, and that had an impact on your your breast but was maybe well, not my mind my brain had physically done something that was what the brain showed. yeah yeah that's what I'm saying it wasn't my mind it was my brain in my yeah. mind is something that you create for yourself that doesn't yeah. really exist but this was physical it wasn't a mental thing it was a physical problem a physical thing which is internal yeah, that nobody looked at um yeah. and like i said you know thank the gods for that nurse on that day who just looked at me dead in the eye and just had this feeling and the strange thing about it and you know no things are such cool coincidences is the way i see it i'm back at the same surgery so i moved away for many years saw different doctors and i've moved back to the place where I was many years ago and I went to the surgery last year for a smear test and lo and behold guess who I saw the same nurse who had seen me back in 2010 who'd basically got the information out of me and called the ambulance and got me you know seen and that sort of thing so we had quite an in-depth conversation and we meet up for a coffee occasionally she feels really sad um also because you know being a nurse she was like but you were 30 something when we found it you were eligible for infertility treatment other counseling you know other referrals private care you were eligible for so much 
and they did nothing for you. They just treated the symptom in your brain, but they forgot about you as a person and what you ultimately wanted to achieve. And that was having a child. And she actually cried for me because she goes, I, you know, she, she didn't save my life because my tumor wasn't terminal or life-threatening, but she did save my life in, in helping me find out what was preventing me from getting pregnant because that was a suicidal moment. Not knowing what's wrong with you and trying to convince people that there's something wrong with you and all they're putting it down to is depression and that you might have a mental issue. And I'm like, no, there's something wrong with my body. And if your body doesn't work, you feel like, well, what's the point of me being here? And if nobody's going to help me fix myself or tell me what's wrong, what's the point of me being here? And I just went around in a cycle for many years of trying to speak to doctors, you know, and they were like, oh, we need sperm samples. And I'm like, but I've slept with X amount of different men. It still hasn't happened. So it is, it's not down to the quality of the sperm. It's me. Stop looking outside of me. Somebody please just stop and listen to me and have a look at me as an individual. So, um, so there's a couple of things that you've you've just said um one you mental you mentioned like the mental health side so your desire to have a child wasn't a fleeting thought it was a desire wasn't it well I think it was not no I wouldn't no I think it was following what women do I think it's just a given to want to have children at some point you fall in love and you think ultimately what solidifies that love and you, you think to yourself that's a baby you know that connection with that person forever and ever amen um however that isn't really the case so i think i was just doing it because i wanted to experience pregnancy i did want a child but it wasn't a burning desire it wasn't oh the be all and end all sort of thing it, it by by the time it was the be all and end all it was already too late. So I had to get over that very quickly. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, and also you mentioned the mental health side with regards to um, not falling pregnant and not knowing why. Was it, yeah, I mean, how did it, it impact it, you emotionally? As, as I would say it drove me beyond mental. Um, antidepressants, lots of debt, erratic spending, erratic behaviour, rage, road rage, um, poor eating habits, bulimia, um, insomnia, overworking, distraction, 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 whatever I could find to distract me from how I felt in that moment, heavily drinking, partying, being promiscuous, literally just doing anything I could to escape how I actually felt until I went and lay down on the train track one day and said, well, pfft, what's the point? Let's just call it quits. I'm done. I'm over it. Wow. And that was before I was even told I was menopausal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I'd already so all, all of that. So let me just check. So all these things that you emotionally felt, um, yeah. was it was it just the desire to have a child or was it a multitude of things? Well, hormonally, your body clock starts ticking. It's something women can't control. And this is the thing that men and women don't understand. Your body it starts talking. It starts saying, right, I'm building you to be able to do this. You've got wider hips. You've got a bigger bum. You've got, uh, you know, your body is prepared to carry a child. That's what happens as a woman as you get older. But if something on the inside is not working, the rest of it doesn't go, oh, well, I know it's, it doesn't work. I'm just going to stop. The body clock still, it still goes on. It still ticks. You still mm. run out of eggs. Do you know what I mean? The, the eggs are still running out, basically. Every month, there's another couple. There's one. There may be two. Maybe you don't know how many, really, you're producing each month, you know, because nobody ever looked at the quality of my eggs. Nobody ever said, oh, you can freeze them and put them to one side. No, there was nothing 
I was the counselor they made me seem was pregnant. It felt as if they actually wanted me to take my life and blame it on something else rather than their discrepancies within the system, sending me to the endocrinology department for blood and um, to see my consultant. And I'm sitting in a waiting room with 20, 30 pregnant women, with women who have babies have just died, women who are sitting there who've got stillborns sitting in their belly and don't even know. The whole system is so flawed. I'm not surprised more women don't commit suicide because of this situation. So can I just go back a bit? You said that they referred you to a counsellor knowing that your issue, a lot of your, your mental issues were, were to do with wanting a child. They sent you to someone who was pregnant. Correct. Yeah. Did you ever complain? To who? This is the problem. As, as I'm out here on my own, that's how it felt. I was bankrupt, homeless. I was fighting everybody, the NHS, the council, the court, my ex-partner. Like literally, like I, I, I literally didn't know what to do. So as far as I'm concerned, being underground was my my only option. I did not know. Even going to citizens' advice, it just felt like it was just, my problem was too big for them. They'd scratch their head, you know. Make appointments here. I'm trying to hold down a full time job. I can't be going to appointments here, there, and everywhere. My counselling appointment was on a Wednesday afternoon at two o'clock, which my company that I was working for at the time allowed me to go to and I'd finish work at six so I'd go away for an hour and a half whatever because it wasn't too far away from where I worked go and pour my heart out to this woman um no form of resolution um and then be expected to go back and sit at a desk for another two and a half three hours and finish my day and just be all right with everything and it not affect my attitude or not affect my colleagues and not affect my family just I just felt like I was in a bubble or in a goldfish bowl and everybody was just staring at me as I swam by aimlessly just being dragged out by the tides. <laughs> Do you feel that actually helped you? What, counselling? No, no, I don't like counsellors. I'll be honest. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I would never see, I would never sign up to a counselling service. I'd never be referred. I don't care if she looks like me in regards to a black woman. I've had several women who have experienced infertility and at the end of the story, they go, oh, well, me and my husband could pay for fertility treatment. I've eventually got a child. Well, stop talking to me. We're not the same. Bye-bye. Move on. Mm. You know, it's like we, we're not relatable anymore. You, mm. you still don't know how I feel. You may have felt like that, but you don't feel like that anymore. That's what I say to a lot of mums. You can't unparent yourself. So you can show empathy and you can say, oh, you know, sympathy. And if that's a horrible word people want to use, but you still won't ever feel how I still feel. You felt like that when you didn't have a child, but you didn't know you couldn't have children because you've got them. So you won't know how I feel. Mm. And also, I know when we spoke before, you, you, you made me kind of more conscious of the fact that when women talk to other women about children, they can be very insensitive. And there's this presumption that every woman can have a child if they want one. Um, and then they, yeah, and then sorry to interject, but the other side of it is, is then when you say to women, especially that perhaps I don't want children. Forget all the medical issues and all the other stuff that may be preventing a woman from having a child. But even if she can have children and a woman chooses not to have them, she's very much shunned from the female society. And we then have to get together and create our own subsection of society so we don't feel bad. 
for not having children. We're made to feel guilty as women for not having them, regardless of the circumstance as to why you haven't got them. And do you think that women do that? Do, well, do women do that? Women who yeah, haven't had you, children, you, do they you call can, You can't help yourself. Yeah, you cannot. You, like, you can spend two or three minutes. No, I lie. You can spend 11 seconds speaking to a woman. Within that 11 seconds, you already know that she has children, how many, what their ages are, and that she has lost herself in her mumhood. And I don't want to know if you're a mum or not. I asked you what your name was. I'm not going to call you mum. So why are we now discussing your children? And then once they finish reeling off their pride and joy and their heart and their reason for living, they then go, oh, so what about you? And you go, I haven't gotten none. I can't have any. Oh, oh, um, oh. I'm, now they're sorry that you can't have them, not sorry for just reeling off all of that information for the last 15 minutes. And I, and this is where um, I, I said earlier that I think I've been guilty of that. And what, what, I, what I find kind of upsetting is not only do I feel I might have upset someone for my insensitivity, but it's also the fact that no one's actually told me until I spoke to you that mm. you need to be aware of people's emotions who haven't had children. You can't presume. Because it, we're aware is, of, yeah, yeah, because we're aware of so many other intolerances that we now tolerate, for example. We, we're made to be aware of black lives. We're made to be aware of the transgender. We're made to be aware of homosexuality. We're made to be aware of so many things at the moment and right at the bottom of the list are women who are childless we don't even talk about men who are childless who can't have children or choose not to have children they are not even on the table in regards of a topic of discussion do you know what I'm saying they're not they're not looked at as being a waste and a, and a drain on society as I've been called men men are not looked really? like that who said that who said you were... uh, it doesn't matter who said it really and truly well, why did they say that was that because that's, how they, service that's how they felt. That's how they feel about women who can't have children. They actually said that we should be shipped off to an island to all be childless together and leave the parents to get on with it. That's horrible. But that's how people feel. So there's something else you've also mentioned and we haven't explored. You, went, you were told that you had a tumour. That's right. So my prolactin gland which is just a little tiny part of the brain was swollen. And that's what, so any part of the brain that's not its normal size or within its normal capacity, they will call a tumor. So it was a swelling on the brain. When did, when did you find out about, at what stage of your journey? Um, it, was not, it was not long after I went for that smear test in 2011. So it was about 10, 11 years after I'd miscarried. Then I walked around with these leaky breasts. And then I had the smear test, told the nurse, I was shipped off to the hospital, had an MRI scan. And by the time the results came in, which was within seven days, because they were so concerned about whether it was terminal something problem. And, you know, I mean, whatever, they just didn't know. So they kind of fast tracked my results. And that's when it came back that my prolactin gland was active, which basically means that's the milk gland of the brain. It was open and switched on and had been producing milk from 1999 to that day and still continuously until they told that gland to turn itself off or slow down. So they can't turn it off because if they turn it off, it means if you do get pregnant, you might not produce milk and that's more detrimental to the body. So they can only slow down what that gland does and reduce that hormone in my body, basically, through medication. 
And that was the actual tumour? Yeah. So your tumour was connected to your fertility issue? Yeah, because my body, like I said, I was, I, I, I was pregnant. I yeah. then miscarried. I didn't know I was pregnant. I didn't know I'd miscarried. So my body had started to produce milk, which mm. was the indicator that I have been pregnant. So there was no other way for them to determine at some point prior to this milk thing happening, your body has been pregnant because that's the first part of the body that switches on mm. in regard to conception is right. The prolactin gland goes, oh, look, a baby. I need to start producing milk. And that's basically what happened. So if I was in phantom pregnancy for 11 years, so my body thought it was pregnant, I was still having periods, I was producing milk. So my body could not re-impregnate itself. So I was never infertile. My body was still producing eggs every month that worked. But you cannot re-pregnant. Once you're pregnant, you can't get pregnant again. There's already a baby in there. So the eggs aren't being produced. So, but my body was in both places at the same time. Was this tumour life-threatening? or No, it was benign. No, it was, nope, it was okay. just swelling. Yeah. So um, after it was identified and they slowed it down, what happened next? Okay, so um, they put me on a certain type of medication, which was experimental. They didn't know if it would work. I would then have to go back every six months for further blood testing and to for them to measure the hormones to see if this medication was taking effect. Um, they had to find a level of medication to give me as well because it was entirely experimental. So did I need one tablet, half a tablet, two tablets, three tablets? So I went through that for the first 18 months, just establishing the level that was right for me. After that, I was on it for a further three and a half, nearly four years. And slowly towards the end, I took myself off of it because of the side effects that that medication then gave me. So I have a heart murmur and my liver and my kidneys have obviously had to work harder because they've had this substance in them for so long. So hence why I now reject any form of medication at all, because my body is still rebuilding itself from the medication I have been on. So that's that sort of element of the whole tumour and what happened after directly. Towards the end, um, I've been on this medication for five years. So I was like 31, 32. Towards the end, I was rolling on 37, 38, 39, as they were still weaning me off of everything, keeping me monitored, keeping checking on my bloods, making sure that my prolactin gland had slowed down. And then my body would now not be unpregnant, basically, you know, medically speaking. But the last consultation I went for where they told me what my bloods were doing and what they were going to do next. That's when the menopausal hormone kicked in and showed itself at the top of the list on that last blood test. So there was no opportunity for them to refer me for um, IVF, which isn't just for infertility. It's for estrogen boost. It's for other things that help you get pregnant. And that's the stuff they don't tell you you can do in the background. You can take collagen, folic acid. There are so many things they could have advised me to do along this journey to help my body stay in preparation for a baby, but they didn't. So by the time I got to 38, 39, I lived in Hertfordshire and that's the end of the scale in regards to free treatment. So basically all they said to me was, if you want to try and go for IVF, even though you're very early menopausal, possibly just beyond perimenopause, it's I was right on the cusp. My perimenopause must have lasted about two months before it went into just full-blown stop. That's it, never again. But um, yeah, they said you can go and find, you know, your eight to 10 grand private healthcare if you want to try and pursue actually having a child. And at that point, telling someone to go and find 10 grand to have a baby 
it's just pointless because I was already, like I said, in the hole by, you know, 50, 60 grand in debt at that point. So for me to go and find 10 grand to have a baby, it was never going to happen. So that was the end of that, basically. And then I had a new chapter to look to forward to, um, which was the change, pretty much. Um, for After that appointment, I think I had one more major period or menstrual cycle, which lasted four months. Um, I was with somebody at the time. He wanted more children. I explained to him that this doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop. It feels like my very, very last period ever because we're now, you know, three months in and me and him still can't do anything in the bedroom or, you know, actively, sexually, that sort of thing. So after four months, it just kind of slowed down and stopped. And then that was it. And then about eight months later, I had kind of a semi-menstrual cycle sporadically. And then I haven't seen a period since really and that was nearly two years ago now so you're post-menopausal menopausal now i'm um, assuming so <laughs> i don't even really like study the stages or what my body does because it, it's so quick it went from regular periods great periods long period no period do you know what i mean like i, I really don't even understand my own timeline in regards to what happens with my body so i'm just putting it in a stage where i'm full-blown menopausal hot flushes and that's where I'm at, really. I haven't put on weight and stuff. I'm kind of lucky that way that I look after myself. But yeah, just the hot flushes really is all I deal with now. And the beauty of not having a period, because they were probably the most traumatic years of my life, to be honest. I just thought, what's the point of having them if you can't have a child? So the quicker they stop, the better for me. <laughs> yeah, God was listening. Thanks, God. Where are you emotionally, mentally now with regards to children? I understand physically where you are. Okay, so what, right now, today? Or yeah. Like just, yeah. I am relieved I haven't had them. And when I say the word relieved, I'm... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, I couldn't be more grateful right now that I haven't got children in my life, period, point blank. Each day, I'm more and more relieved. I didn't think that I would exhale more each day as it goes by. 
but I am. Why is that then? Just I just look at the state of the world and I'd actually be fearful to leave my offspring behind with what's going on. My brother's got children, my, you know, my sister's got children, my other brother's got children. So it's not like the DNA line or the name stops with me. I just don't want to subject my children to what I see happening on the planet and what the humans are doing. I think human beings are horrible on so, on so many different levels, not all, but a fear fast majority. And I just think that my gentleness as a person internally would have come out in my children and they would just be suffering the consequences of the horrible people of the world. I can, I can actually understand what you say there because I sometimes look around and I think, oh. Yeah, just with everything that's going on at the yeah. moment, like just the last 18 months, you know, like the homeschooling, vaccination, sending them back, the jabbing, the testing, the da 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 And, the, you know, for us, it was like they stopped our milk. You know, that's what we had to deal with at five and seven. You know, mm. they took you know, that's, and that's kind of about it, really. We didn't really have a lot going on in regards mm. to going to that safe haven is what I called school. Mm. You know, if you, your home life was horrible as a child, school was sometimes a safe haven. And mm. now, you know, I don't want to go to school and I don't want to go home. And now they're in this void, you know, and I wouldn't want any child to be in that situation. But yeah, I don't want to have to protect my children in the way that parents have to protect their children now, especially boys. I know girls are just as vulnerable on a different level, but boys at the moment are at the forefront of everybody's minds. And I don't want people to forget the girls because that's where the rest of my story, well, that's how my story started, you know? So I won't go into that, you know, before, Mm. but the pregnancy, the person I got pregnant for, that's when someone should have taken me to one side and guided me you know I I did stuff that I shouldn't be doing you know so Mm. but yeah but because a lot of people talk about the boys like I said we forget about the girls and there were a lot of girls at the moment and young women um doing things for men and because of men that they really have no place being part of or should be doing what do you mean um holding weapons look holding things okay taking things in cars with them to go and meet people so things can be done. Girls play a very big part in the manoeuvring and the transportation and the covering up of maybe what's going on at the moment. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do know about that. I wasn't quite sure what you were referring to. So your story has so many levels, so many levels. Um, with regards to... I'm going to go over a couple of things that you, you mentioned. One, you were talking about men and yep. relationships. How do you feel now about men? I've been single for nearly a decade, um, so I don't think I feel anything towards men. And I'll put it quite point blank like this. When I thought I was able to conceive, men had a use. Now I'm menopausal. I don't know what they want with me because I certainly don't want nothing to do with them. Really? You, it is um because I suppose some people say it's about companionship is it something that you, you I don't... am my best friend I have been in so many relationships it doesn't matter whether they were good or bad but it never gave me an opportunity to spend any time with myself so over the last 10 years I've seen two people very um sporadically um for a period of time you know one was like two to three years the other one was like you know two to to a year and a bit or so but for the last three four years I've been when I say single single I'm now saying celibate as well as single for the last three nearly four years now and I have done so much for myself in regards to self-development achievement my home my finances my career path my mental health my physical health like there is not one part of me that I have not been able to focus on and I'm finding it very difficult to share 
my energy with anyone, man or woman. Not that I'm a lesbian, I'm just saying female friends even. I'm finding it very difficult to share my energy because I'm in such a good place. I've never felt like this before in my life. Never, ever. My, my menstrual cycle started at 10. So, and, you know. It's um, freedom. Yeah. So you they say you have a 35 year life cycle in regards to your eggs, 30 to 35 years. So when my cycle started at 10, if you then add on 30, 35 years, my body was perfect milestone. Come 40, 45. That's it. No more eggs. Bye bye. Live your life. They say life begins at 40. And I don't know whether it was, the you know, whether I, how I lived my life or what's happened to me in the past or whether it was just by design that I really began to live at 40. I wanted to kill myself at 41, but around that 40 window, it was either make or break. It was either die or really live. And that's what I'm doing. And I just don't want anyone to slow me down or to deter me like they had done in the past. I'm not easily persuaded to do stuff anymore. I'm so grounded. I know myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't think I've been happier. I can be happier. I know that, but I, I don't think I've been this happy ever in life sounds really I'm really happy that you're that you feel happy um and some of the stuff you said I've had conversations with other women and it resonates with what other women of a similar age have said to me to be honest with you I think what it is when you're a child you're told say for instance a narrative you're told that you'll meet someone you have a child you'll live together you know and you're told that in a way that you kind of presume it's going to happen do you know basically things because my the, the women in my family have had quite traumatic relationships with their partners husbands men that sort of thing since grandparent time so I knew as a woman I was just different I knew from the very beginning from about the age of nine I remember telling myself that I'm never going to have children I didn't want children I wanted a nice little house a nice little sports car which we have to go on holiday and take cruises I never saw myself being married. I never even really saw myself with children, if I'm honest with you and your listeners and myself. You know, just saying that at nine years old, I already knew I wasn't going to have children. I didn't know that I was going to struggle to have them, if you know what I mean, in that respect. It was already a conscious or subconscious choice that I'd already made at nine years old. I just didn't want that to happen to my body I I don't know it was just a very strange I wasn't scared of them or anything of children or pregnancy uh, you know what I mean in that sense but I'd been through a lot at, by the age of nine so I think that I I just knew I just knew so it wasn't a bit of pill to swallow I think it was the people around me that made it more harder to accept that I couldn't have children or didn't have children it wasn't really me because I already knew I wasn't going to have them from the age of nine. I think it was just society and the way parents were treated in the workplace, because I've had a job since I was nine. I've always worked. I've always had my own money. I've been very independent. My parents have allowed me to explore that side of myself from a very early age. And so, you know, I've always known who I am. I'm like one of those old heads on young shoulders is how I've always been described. But I would find that it was in the place of work where it would bother me the most, where parents would get priority over holiday time and annual leave and stuff like that. And I was like, well, that's not fair. We're all employees. You didn't employ these people because they were parents. They happen to be parents. What, but we're all still employees, you know? So there are times when you think that, that parents get treated better than people without children. And nobody realizes it because your manager's got children, the supervisor's got, everyone's got children. So you don't, you don't hear this side of the conversation because we're looked and frowned upon for, for, for not liking your choices. 
you know. <laughs> I mean, the thing is that I do hear it. I have heard it. I have seen it, what you've said. And it's frowned upon because people just look at you and think, oh, they just ignore it. They don't see it as, a, as the fact that, you're, that you're, your rights have been taken away from you because you don't have a child. Yeah, you know, um, they get to leave early or have a different shift pattern or they come in late so I've had to drop the kids off, you know, things. And he's just like, come on. that Like, you knew what you were getting into when you had children. You know, it, you've, you've seen other people do it. It's, it's not, you're not the first. It's like, so it does get your goat a little bit. You know, it does get you, you know, your hairs and little freckles standing up. But you just have to just walk away. And you know what? I just have to look at that. Like, I lived a completely different life. I've never been able to afford children, let alone have them anyway, if I was yeah. to it realistically. And what I see is just a lot of struggling parents, people who don't even get a chance to spend time or quality time with their children because they're always on a hustle, always on a grind, always at work, always trying to provide the next thing, do the next thing, save for the next holiday. And I'm like, you know, what? my brain and my body cannot cope with that type of stress. It seems like too much arsehate for me. So good luck to you all. Well done, is what I say. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, I mean, now socially, do you, I know you mentioned before that you used to um, have be around people in a similar situation who don't have children. Now yeah. you're like, post-menopausal. Do you still feel the need to be around women who don't have children? Or do you feel that being in the menopause yeah. stage, women, even if they did have children, have left the children have left home, they've got the empty nest? No, no, they still talk about them. They can't help it. After 25, they've just finished uni, they've just bought a house, they've just done this. Like the story goes on. It doesn't end because they're now <laughs> okay. you're still a parent. You know what I mean? Okay, you're still then. a mum. Yeah, and okay. that's how people introduce themselves. My name's Pat and I'm a mum of four. Like nobody asked you if you was a mum. We asked you who you were. What did you, what, what did you want to do before children? Who was you before you was a mum? Most people can't even remember. Do you know what I mean? Because their mm. mum just, mumship, as I call it, or mumhood, consumes them. You know, and I don't blame them. Children are precious. They are little miracles. They are a blessing. You know, the body goes through a lot. It's a tie that you, you can't ever undo. Once the umbilical cord's cut, that's a physical thing. But the soul tie, the energy, it's there forever. So I love to see that bond between parents and children, definitely. But it can be quite irritating when it overlaps into your relationship with them, I presume. Yeah, it, yeah. I think, and this is where I think that I've realised I've made that mistake. Because for me, I'm going to sound like a really boring parent. For me, my children mean a lot to me. But I come from a background where my childhood wasn't very good. Yeah. And I come from a space where, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't have close relationships with much of my extended family because my 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 bad right. childhood yeah, had the impact of... Yeah. And so I totally, I, I do yeah. get the relationship and the reasonings yeah. and that's, sort of, and I, like I said, I appreciate it. Like, you know, my, so that's what I said, it all stems from, like I said, learnt behaviour, childhood, your experiences, but then it's still a given that you were able to have children because that's, that's because you, you're able to say what you're saying because you have children. These, yeah. these sort of thing, whereas the yeah. conversation is different if you haven't got them. So it doesn't matter what stage of life you are at, whether you're postmenopausal. But then what happens is, is that you're now a mum and now you're a grandma. You're adding to the conversation. So now you're not only speaking to me about your child, you're now speaking to me about your grandchildren and your legacy. And I'm going, well, OK, my nieces and nephews will benefit from what I'm doing. You know, that, that's where it, it ends with me. I don't, I don't go into deep conversation because, mm. it, you know, so it's another layer of a conversation that I'm not having with women. So it doesn't end because you're at a menopause and a different type of conversation begins because you're now grandparents. 
So with regards to not only not having children and going through the menopause, you're single. Does that yeah. also have an impact on your conversations and your relationships with women and being single oh. and being celibate single? So you're not hunting man, basically, or desiring to be hunted. I don't talk about that side of my life. You don't see pictures of me and men in line. I don't go out dating. Um, I don't conversate with men, really, unless they're friends and it's kind of business or just general mm. chat. How are you doing? You know, how are your parents? How are their children? Because again, that's another conversation. What man hasn't got children? So technically all the men I've ever dated or been with have all had children. So, you know, that's where everybody goes, oh, you've been, a, you know, a stepmom and you're a surrogate mum to the world and you're a mum to the to this group and you're a mum to me. And they're like, no, no, let's not play that game. Yeah, I don't want to play that game. So you don't know how that may be hurting me by hearing stuff like that, because it's now you're just trying to appease and soothe what you think are my feelings rather than just asking me how I feel about it all. You know, so it's this, it's this kind of made up conversation that people have already had with themselves that they think they're saying the right stuff rather than just asking, how do you feel about that? And actually hearing from the person how they feel rather than guesstimating Oh, I can I, I can gauge your emotions because I've spoken to other people who haven't got children. Okay, well, did you ask them how they felt after you spoke to them? No, you didn't. You know, so now you're just having the same conversation with somebody else and you think it's okay. And it may be okay to some men and women who haven't got children. And on the other hand, it may not. And it's just find that balance. You know, I can't go around telling parents what I actually really think of them, whether they're good parents or bad parents or, you know what I mean? There's, there's a limitation to my sensitivity to what I see as well, to prepare, you know, what I'm going to put out or what I'm going to say. It doesn't go the opposite direction. Is there something you should say or something that you should be mindful of when you talk no, to a woman because... or a man who has not had children of a certain age? Um, no, because I don't know why we're talking about that. Unless we're planning to have children together, then we shouldn't be having a conversation about who has got children or who hasn't got children. It's like I said, it's parents who volunteer that information. I've never once gone up to anybody and said, do you have children? It's never a question that has come out of my mouth. People, like I said, parents will tell you that without you even asking, oh, my name's so-and-so and I'm a parent of so-and-so boys or twins or however many and this is their age and this is what they're doing and like I said I've just asked you what your name was you don't even tell me your occupation your occupation is obviously a mum first before everything else because now I know that resume I'm not adding to your brood I'm not taking away from your brood I'm, I'm still standing here wondering I didn't ask you that so one, one thing I just need to clarify because I, I think I'm going over something we've covered when you were told that you probably could not have children Never ever was told that. You were never ever told. You were told you no, just need to. There was, you can have it, but you need to pay for IVF. That's basically what you were told. No, 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 no. I was never infertile. That's what I'm trying to make sure I get across. Okay. You cannot get re-pregnant if your body thinks you are pregnant. Mm. And by the time my body was unpregnified, if that's even a word, I was already menopausal. It was never a case of infertility. Mm. Never, ever. I had been pregnant. Mm. <laughs> this is the, this, so please yeah. get that across. It was. This is not an infertile story. This yeah. is a case of mismanagement of a human being. What was happening with their body? And by the time they discovered what was happening with my body, it was too late because the menopause had already kicked in. But when you were found out, uh, when you were told that you were menopausal, after they'd sorted out the um, the issue with medication, yeah. whatever, 
emotionally were you in a good or bad place when you were told that you would need you would, you would need IVF to fall pregnant? Uh, it was ne again because they can't confirm anything. Mm. They never looked at that. That's what I'm saying. It yeah. wasn't about so you were you were you weren't really well managed, were you? At all? No, that's they what I said. I went they didn't explore. Having... They didn't educate. Do you think that's partly because when you went to see them, were you by yourself or were you part of a couple? I was by myself. It didn't matter who I was sleeping with. He doesn't need to be there. No, but I'm just. I'm just saying. In my mind, they didn't need to see any of that. They. His, it wasn't his medical condition. It was me and mine. Yeah, but I was. One, I'm wondering if because one of the issues that I've, I've experienced with people who have um have you know had to go to national health service is sometimes when it comes to certain things, especially around women's stuff. Yeah, um, that sometimes they take you more seriously if you turn up with a partner. Yeah, I mean, they can. And then when I initially started going to the doctors, when I first found out, I was with somebody. But they would look at him and have a conversation with him about my body. So really? let's exclude that person, because why are you asking him? Why are you talking to him? Furthermore, I've got a male consultant. I've seen female consultants. And then your partner gets upset when they say we need a sperm donation. And it's, and it's like, well, the problem's not me, the problem's her. I've already got a child. So you're now adding to an argument that's about to take place outside of this appointment. So I'm not bringing a partner here. I've already slept with X amount of people. Their mm. sperm's fine. They've had children before me and after me. It's mm. definitely not the men. Stop asking me about No, men. but I'm just wondering as part of not, the mismanagement. Not you, but that's what I'd have to say yeah. to the consultants. Like, it's yeah. not about the man. I but am the person here. I understand that they would well, why did you time. have to explain that to them? Do you think possibly you would have, I mean, is, is, in your mind, is there a part of you that thinks some no, because people I was you spoke to no, would have treated no. you differently if, if no, I, they no, thought you were the I traditional think, family? No, no, because I don't go to the dentist with a partner and they extract my tooth any differently. It's the no, I'm not saying about you, no. I'm just saying possibly, I'm, do you think they might have treated you differently? I, I mean, they might not, no, I'm just asking. No. No, as we know, if you really want me to put it out there, they do not like us in this country. They don't want us to be here. I was never seen by any, the only doctor who ever helped was when I was 19, when I had my first operation to make sure everything was okay. And he was a male black African man, yeah? And he was the only one who's ever sat me down. It was literally 15 years later that I sat down with another male black doctor who actually spoke to me properly and then you know, allowed certain things to happen. The whole system is designed for you to not be there. It's not a national help or national health service. It's, it's give you drugs, let's experiment. The whole time that I went through this whole process, all they ever wanted to do was let's try this, let's try that. You haven't discovered what's wrong yet. So why am I gonna let you try anything until you tell me what the problem is? What do you think it might be? Where do I, can it, do you see what I'm saying? There were lots of other questions that I had that weren't answered. It didn't matter whether there was somebody by my side or not. It was me. Okay, so based on what you've just said, I've, I've picked up that you feel that your ethnicity had an impact on the conversation and the level of care you received. Yeah. Am I correct? Okay. Okay. So I, 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 mean, I was going to come to that second, but I just wanted to find out if it was... Um, and the reason why I asked this question is because I know someone who um, decided later in their... Were they early 40s or early or late 30s decided that they were going to go for IVF, IVF on their own 
And I know one of the issues she had, she was Caucasian, one of the issues she had is that they, they didn't treat her with respect because they all knew that she was by herself, even though she was paying for a service. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a national health service, she was paying, um, that she was disrespected and devalued because she was a single um, woman on her own. And she had never, ever experienced devaluing. She said, I've never, ever experienced someone looking at me and devaluing me. Yeah, and at the time I, I, I said nothing, but I thought I felt that loads of time. But I know it's based on my color. Yeah, but I would say that any woman who goes for IVF on their own and chooses to be a single parent, um, regardless of their finances and the, you know their household situation, yeah. they are actually capable of rearing a child on their own, and that's what they're choosing to do. Some people just don't like that. It probably it didn't have anything to do with her colour as far as I'm concerned. They no, just no, I'm, I'm not saying it's anything to do with her colour because she's Caucasian, so it's nothing to do with her colour, but it was the first time. It's the first time it's the first time she said she told me that she's ever felt she's in a space where people around her devalue her and don't respect her. And I looked at her and I, I, I felt empathy for her. But that's not the first time I've experienced that loads of times. And I feel that that's based on my colour. Um, yeah, and I think that there are different levels of, yeah. of, um, of, of, of treatment even and of emotion and levels of empathy, because this is she she looks like them. So she knows it wasn't about her race. When yeah. you've got that added layer when you're not receiving the help, you're in a medical crisis, you're also being treated because of your colour and you're being treated weird by society because of your medical crisis. They, they, I'm not like outweighing or comparing, but it's a heavier emotion to carry when you know that your colour's also involved in the situation as well. And you think that we're all entitled to the same sort of medical care. You know, we're all entitled to have children. That's the word I'm using, entitled. Um, and you realise that some people who don't think you're entitled to do anything or utilize whatever it is they can against you so yeah i do get where she's coming from and it was purely because she was trying to do something on her own mm. and it, that she wasn't married and stuff like that that's still frowned upon in this country if you you know have children out of wedlock yeah. although people don't talk about it it's a very big thing so that's yeah. why i'm saying it, that's not surrounding her color i felt like i was discriminated against on many different levels many yeah. many many layers and nobody's ever kind of gone oh Perhaps that wasn't quite nice. We don't know how she's doing mentally. Oh, the word labile was used by my consultant to describe my attitude because I was having a mental breakdown. So she basically criticised me for losing my mind. Really? Yes. That's what I'm saying. So I was dealing with a lot, a lot. And I'm just grateful to be here, to be able to speak about it, to be able to be aware of, you know, what happened to me and... You know, even up until last year, I had a conversation with a man who was interested in me and he asked me those questions and I spoke about what, you know, had happened and whatnot. And he was like, why don't you try to sue the NHS? And I actually got a little bit prickly about it. And I was like, there's no amount of money in the world that can actually repair the way I feel. Simple. It's quite understandable. It's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. But he just didn't get it. He's, you know, some people think that money fixes everything. Oh, you could get a good couple of mil out of them because of what they've done. If you can prove negligence. Do you know what I mean? Like I shouldn't have to prove anything in order for money when it comes to my body. Mm. You don't put it on priceless. There is no value on human life. How much is it, how much is a baby worth? You know, that's horrible to, you know, in that sense, to think like that. Mm. That's how I felt. Like you've just put a price on, 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 a, on a life. No, thank you. Let me just heal accordingly and deal with it in my own way. So, uh, you know, not leaving it to the imagination. You can imagine that relationship 
we'd never started and never would because I really can't be around somebody who thinks where money can fix everything. That's not who I am as an individual. So no, we're not compatible, mate. Job on. With regards to men, your mm. you've, your tap is switched off at the moment. Nothing at the moment is tempting you or just or make wanting nope. you to go out. I haven't even looked in their direction for a number of years. It actually worried me for a while, but now I just find it quite funny. To be honest with you, I think loads of women are like that now. I think I think the relation that once you hit a certain age. And women have experienced life to understand that the male relationship for some women, for some, is not full of, it doesn't smell like roses for some women, you know. Um, women are uh, educated as children to believe that that's a key part of a happy life, to be part of that, that, that union, but they don't actually see examples of it in their life with yeah. in their own relationship with others so they, yeah. they, they actually start to think is it really what people say is it was it just a fairy tale so i think a lot of older women now i've, I've spoken to loads of older women and they have switched they're not that so fussed about finding the one um but it's just about that companionship and that's yeah. what's trying to work out do you feel going forward because i know some women who really can't be bothered and some of them are married that's that's the funny thing. They're married with husbands, and they, to them, going forward is about um, forming a good social life and forming friends who you can share your problems with. At, sometimes it's not your partner. No, that's not me at all. Um, yeah. My menopause has been like a new form of puberty. Okay. Um, and for me, it's made me feel quite vibrant and young, and I've changed careers, really sociable in general. I never really have been. Um, I've got a small circle of people that I may speak to on a, you know, regular-ish, consistent basis. But no, I'm not out here yearning for friendships and a social life to go out and meet people and party and have dinner and all of that or go to the gym. with. I'm just not that woman. I'm so much content with learning about myself, building my business, you know, getting my apprenticeship done and, yeah, achieving something in my life is not external. It's not about external sources at all. It's purely selfishness, but in a very healthy way and internally healing, growing and just being a better version of myself every single day. And it doesn't involve anybody else. So it sounds like you're focusing on self-care. You're focusing on you. Yeah. Yeah. Who okay. else is there? There's no one there to focus That's on me true. apart from myself. And I don't expect anyone to focus on me. I expect yeah. myself to focus on me because I... I haven't really done that throughout my adulthood, you know, mm. and partly through my childhood in that respect. But yeah, it's my, it's, it's, this is me. Um, I'm not craving attention. I'm not lonely. I'm not bored. I, I can't think of, of, of anything else I desire right about now. You know, maybe a bit more money in the bank would be good and, you know, a few more sales in regards to business or something like that. But, you know, but yeah, there are things that I know that I can achieve, you, you know, and it doesn't require input from a man or a partner. If, if in that respect and if the person I meet isn't on my level or has my drive and has a list of goals and ambitions and things that they're actually working towards acquiring and it's not just about money they're not you know they need to be spiritually grounded and find you know be know themselves and and not just want to just climb on top of me and pound me every now and then and think that that's what it takes to maintain a relationship I'm just not involved no thanks <laughs> I like your description there. But, um, well, thank you very much for your very honest and frank um, interview talking about really quite personal things. So I do respect and value that you shared that with 
um, us. Um, and it's also been informative. I take away from this interview that one, it reinforces my belief that people have different menopauses. You know, it's not a generic thing. People's mm. experience with regards to change can be quite different. And also, you have educated me in a way that actually people who I've known who who have tried to have children for different reasons have not. And I'm more aware, I think, of the conversations I have with women when they don't have children. And and the thing is, that as you, as you said, um, sometimes you meet someone and they they complacently just start talking about their children, even though you didn't ask them about their children. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely, definitely guilty of that. Um, and I'm realising actually that I just need to be more sensitive to other people. And some people, you can have a healthy conversation and your children are just not part of it. Yeah. You it know doesn't they're... mean that you love them any less or that you've forgotten about them. Yeah. It just means that the person's actually interested in you, perhaps. Yeah. And not everything else outside of you. Yeah. So I've, I'm, I'm definitely at fault for that. And I hope I haven't upset anyone or someone's walked away and thought, oh, she's one of those. <laughs> 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 and I mean, before sp speaking to you, I hadn't really thought about it. And I've known friends who have who have struggled to have children mm. and they've gone for IVF and and whatever and I do remember one incident actually a friend of mine um wanted me to go to her to a doctor's appointment and I couldn't get childcare and it was to mm. do for is to do for IVF and I had to bring my children with me and I think she was upset that I brought her my children with me but I had no mm -hmm. childcare. Mm. yeah um and really I, I realized I did kind of realize at the time she needed a child-free zone Mm -hmm. deal with her childlessness yeah um, and, that, and that's the difficulty is that you realize that most women the majority do have children so when you do need someone to maybe come somewhere with you you then become very selective as to whether you even invite someone because that might happen not in a bad way you know but yeah it it, it just and that's why you end up doing stuff on your own and keeping it a lot of it to yourself because you don't want anyone else to come along or maybe press a few buttons and you know activate triggers that are already there um and it's not the other person's fault it's just the way life goes sometimes so it's a it's just a very fine line um that hasn't been discussed because women who can't have children feel embarrassed women who are going through the menopause feel embarrassed and then people who have got children feel like they're they don't know what to ask or how to ask or what to say or whether to even ask so it's for us as the childless or child-free type people to be more vocal and not feel that we're bashing parents or that we're angry with society for not having children, but just educating, you know, more so about the conversation and vocabulary, you know, and men and, and women can learn to, to, you know, we can all do better, yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and you have, you have definitely educated me. So I'll, I've, I'm hopefully going forward, I will be more sensitive to the conversations I have in certain spaces. Yeah, so um, definitely thank you very much. Thanks for um, giving me your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to all the listeners. Um, I appreciate any feedback or comment. Thank you for listening to Black Menopause and Beyond. To keep up to date with new releases, please subscribe to my podcast wherever you follow or listen to your podcasts. Also, if you can rate my podcast, 
that will help other people find and enjoy my podcast. If you wish to contact me, email me on blackmenobeyond at yahoo.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 